Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap Newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and due diligence. And plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap wrap to show how the Microcap space has performed every week and compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Again, to subscribe, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Adam Mead, CEO and CIO of Mead Capital Management, author of The Complete History of Berkshire Hathaway, and founder of the Watchlist Investing Newsletter. As the title indicates, patience is your friend. We know this phrase, and some of us truly embrace the meaning behind it. Adam's main takeaway from going to this year's Berkshire meeting was this phrase. When one of your heroes or you know, a person that you highly respect uses phrases like this, I don't know about you, but I most definitely listen and want to better understand why they might be saying this. So in our conversation today, Adam and I try and answer that question. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 229 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Adam Mead. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Adam Mead. 
He is the CEO and CIO of Mead Capital Management, author of The Complete Financial History of Berkshire Hathaway, and the founder of Watchlist Investing Newsletter. With that, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to have you. And I, I said this offline, I appreciate you being so accommodating. Uh, you know, this is my first interview since I'm back from Israel. So I had a, we were supposed to do this last week. I had a little bit of jet lag. So I, I appreciate you uh, being able to reschedule. Yeah, of course. I've got two little ones too. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, I was joking with you offline again where I was like, you know, look, you know, the 14 hour flights, uh, bring, bring on the three to four hour flights now. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> that's nothing anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wanted to start off um, our interview, and you've, you've done quite a few of these in, in recent years, you know, with the, especially with the new book, you know, you got you doing the rounds and whatnot. But, I, you know, I want to start off with uh, with Omaha, you know, on your on your newsletter, you kind of gave a little bit of a wrap. And, and I know it's been about a month and a half since then. But, you know, I, 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 how was your pilgrimage? You know, I'm not sure if you've done a pod since then, you know, to talk about it, but lo- love to hear from your perspective. You know, I saw you sold out a lot of books and everything like that. So how was the pilgrimage for you this year? It was phenomenal. So that was my ninth trip in person. I have uh, the exception of this year's, I, have, I haven't framed it yet, but all, all of the passes from the meetings that I've been to, my first meeting was in 2012. And I, I have not, the, the people that continue to go, I think are very much like me. I mean, Guy Spear talks about this. We, we've talked about it. You just, it's just, it's the same excitement. You know, it's like you're a kid going to Disneyland or something. And it's, um, it, you know what you're going to get, but it's always different. You meet new people. Everybody's just so friendly. It's wonderful to be there. And I think having two years off just made it you know, that much more exciting to be back there. And um, just having the, the, the book in the bookworm, Warren inviting me to sell it at the meeting and selling out. We sold out on Friday, actually five hours, just a whirlwind. Got to meet a ton of great, great people new people. Uh, it was just, just phenomenal. It was just a wonderful meeting. So you, you mentioned that, you know, you know what you're going to expect, but there's always something different and new each year you go. I mean, for you, what, what was that for you this year? I mean, so Buffett, Buffett is very much a teacher. And in fact, he said he wants to be remembered as a teacher. And this year he, he always picks something out to highlight. And this year he used the Allegheny acquisition and the fee that he paid uh, or that was paid to Goldman Sachs as the example to say, hey, you know, you, you look at the deal, the acquisition price, and it's, you know, 848.02, I think. And well, that's an odd price. Well, that's because it's, you know, 850 minus the, um, the fee that they paid Goldman Sachs. And he, he used this as an example to say, these bankers, they get their fees. And they kind of get buried in the in the background, but someone has to pay it, and and that's the shareholder. And so he used that as an example, and then that led to a, a discussion about I, I forget he didn't say what year I don't think, but there was a time when he needed a fairness opinion for another acquisition that they were doing. It might have been I think it might have been diversified retailing, uh, which was seventy eight, or blue chip stamps, which would have been eighty three. So a long time ago. And they would have had to pay like a million dollars for this fairness opinion just just to do the deal, and um, they got it down to about sixty thousand dollars because they just you know using Charlie Munger's 
wisdom and just said, we're just going to go A to Z through these investment bankers, offer a ridiculously low price. They know it's a super easy thing to do. So it just, that, that was one thing. Another thing is, I mean, we, we've just seen this, this history repeat over and over again where, you know, Buffett's washed up and just this amazing idea. I mean, you, you just, you watch Berkshire over the years and, and it's just a, an exercise in patience. And so they went years and years and years without doing anything. Buffett wrote in his letter that they hadn't found anything to do. And literally the next day, he's you know meeting with Joe Brandon and, and has this idea of buying Allegheny. And they, they lay out $52 billion in the matter of a, a course of a few weeks. So um, patience is definitely your friend. That, that, was, that was another highlight from the meeting. It's fun. It's I I so appreciate that, I'm, especially because you know one of one of my questions I was going to ask you a little bit later is you know, um, with all this renewed vigor of for and, and excitement towards the stock market, maybe not so much right now, but in, in the last two two and a half years, you know, with um, Robinhood craze, all that all that stuff, you know, and, and especially with all these new investing and finance shows and movies that involve bad ethics and charismatic leaders and all that, you know, but happen to be scrupulous, you know, what, what, what's your vibe when you were there? You know, do you feel hopeful uh, for the next generation of investors that they are going to adopt some of the more, you know, Buffett Munger, you know, patience is a virtue type investing, or are we at kind of this like weird, you know, uh, I don't know, crossroads, I guess you'd say. I kind of have the, the, it's unfortunate, you know, on the one hand, and I've used this example before, like on the one hand, it, the, the fact that human nature doesn't change and people panic and sell out at the top and, or sell out at the bottom rather buy at the top is good for, for people like me that like to buy businesses. And when the stock prices go down, you know, we take advantage of it. But on the other hand, it's kind of sad because they make these, these terrible financial decisions. So I, I think we're we're always going to have an element of that, you know, sort of true the true investors, the sort of speculators on the one hand, and then in the middle kind of shifts back and forth. And and what we've seen recently is I think the beginning of a shift, a whole other generation of investors just getting sort of re-educated, if you will, on hey, markets markets can go down and they might not you know, bounce back in a couple of weeks or months, you know, it could actually take years. Um, so there's that, there's that sort of re-education process going on and, and just, you know, you, you just remember every year, you know, every year I go out there to Omaha, I'd say that there's at least, at least 25%, probably more, probably more like 40% uh, of the people out there are new, you know, oh, Hey, this is my first time, you know, geez, wanted to come out here before these guys, you know, pass away. And, I've heard that for years as I've gone out there, um, which is great. I mean, I think that's a great thing. The more people that can find Warren Buffett and realize that, hey, he's not just a washed up, you know, old stodgy uh, stock market investor, uh, the better. Absolutely. So, you know, maybe final takes from from the meeting. I mean, who are, who are some folks maybe that you met or um, some people you were looking forward to meeting that you finally got to meet in person, you know, because you all are, you know, Buffett fans and, and all in the room at the same time. 
Yeah, gosh. I mean, I, I, there's so many people and I, I can't name all the names, but I, I met so many new friends and, and people that had sent me messages about the book and, you know, we connected in, in Omaha. Um, for me, I, I really like talking. I mean, I love, I love talking to everybody, but uh, to, to talk to the managers, you know, talking to uh, Dan Calkins, uh, who's uh, chair and CEO of Benjamin Moore, you can just approach him. Hey, how's business? You know, what's, what's, what's Sherwin Williams doing against you guys? You know, that kind of, it's just, it's fun. It makes it much more tangible and, and you, and it really just drives home. It's part of this Berkshire culture that you're a business owner and these people are, are working for you and, and but they're also your partners. And, um, you know, I met Katie Farmer again, CEO of, of BNSF railway, you know, one of the largest railway railways in North America and in, in the world. And, you know, you can just walk right up to her and, and, and talk to her. Um, uh, there's a woman at, at John's Manville, um, Kathy, she has, has been an assistant to the, the CEO for a number of years. And I've talked to her over the years and she's given me insights into, you know, how the, the boards, many people don't know that the, the Berkshire subsidiaries actually have boards of directors and, uh, you know, just picking her brain and, and I got to see her again. And, you know, it's just all those things. It, it's just, it's so fun and meeting people literally from all around the world. Um, I mean, you, you just took a trip to Israel. I met some people from Israel, Brazil, China. I mean, it's just incredible where people come from. Um, just, it says, it says something about, about what, uh, what has been built out there. I got to get out there for 2023. I, I just, I got to do it. I've been meaning to go for the last few years and well, obviously minus the last two because nobody could go, but um, yeah, the, it, it's, it, it's time I make the pilgrimage. It's time. Fly yeah. the microcap flag out there. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's great. And um, you know, just one other thing that kind of just dug my, my yeah. mind. Well, you'll, and you'll know me out there. So, you know, you'll, you'll know somebody I'll, I'll show See. you around. Um you know, Buffett made this really interesting comment about progressive. Someone asked him about it and he said, well, geez, you know, um, I, you know, progressive's net worth must be around 20 billion. I haven't looked at it in a long time. And that was like a little, I just made note of that. I said, wait a minute, that's interesting. Here's, here's one of the, the biggest competitors to Geico. Buffett hasn't looked at their net worth in a long time. And, and to me, that was a lesson, right? Like I can apply this to my own investing and, and I have over the last, you know, five years, certainly of writing the book and, and uh, more recently said, there's so many numbers that are thrown at us as investors. And certainly, you know, with micro cap investing, you know, you try to look at everything and, and here's Buffett saying, you know, geez, I haven't even looked at progressive net worth. And Geico has to, to incentivize their managers. They look at growth in new policies and profitability of existing business. And it just kind of dawned on me that Buffett's probably just looking at, at Progressive the same way. It's a regulated business. The net worth is going to be regulated based on their volume. I don't need to look at it all the time. I don't even look at it every single year. And so it was just a reminder to me, again, one of these, one of these little new things that I learned out there that, hey, okay, you know, maybe that's not a key variable in insurance and let's, let's keep it simple and, you know, th think deeply about sort of these longer term economic forces at work. Yeah. Especially also valuing your time, right. You mm -hmm. know, but how do, how do I actually want to spend my time, you know, digging into the stuff that I own versus what I don't own, you know, yeah, it's good to do those channel checks, right. To, you know, see the competitive analysis and kind of see what others are doing. But I mean, he makes a good point, right. Just, all right, why do I have to, on a, you know, 
I don't know what his time frame or how consistently it would be to look at the net worth of the company. Like, what's what's the point of that? Yeah, and I think that that's just one example of progressive. Sure. You know, it it, yeah. it would be relevant to another business, right? But but for progressive, it's like, okay, are they taking market share, and how profitable are they, and what are they doing to, to get? And that's basically it. I mean, it's a very simple business at its core, right? Uh, so really just taking the time to, to think about that. But, but you know, when I look at a, an industry and a business, or when I look at a business, I, I always look at the industry and, and seeing kind of the, the, the moves that others are making is important to, to what your company is doing. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Very good. So, you know, as I said in the intro, you were also the, the author of the complete financial history of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, probably the understatement of the year is that you know a little bit about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and Berkshire, the company. Um, it, it, is there anything about Warren, Charlie, and Berkshire that still puzzles you and that you're constantly trying to understand better? One thing I've, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one thing I've continued to really work on, which, which is sort of related to what I just talked about with these key variables, is how, how does Buffett go about structuring their compensation? Because he's, he's dropped clues over time, like, Oh, you know, geez, it, it's it's based on the underlying business. Um, we've, you know, Chuck Huggins and I at Seize Candy shook hands, you know, talked about it for five minutes, shook hands. We haven't changed it ever since. And, you know, so just that's one of those things where I kind of I kind of get what, what what's what's happening and what they do and incentivizing it. But I'm always trying to learn more about that and how they think about it. And I actually asked, I think it was might have been 2018. I asked the very last question of the meeting about compensation. It gave me a little bit of insight, but Charlie kind of said, you know, basically, you know, Warren, you don't want to talk about that. You know, those are trade secrets. So um, just that that's one thing that I've just always kind of wanted to put some more color around. And then I, I mentioned the the Berkshire Hathaway boards, just kind of how they function. Um, you know, Buffett has always said that the managers run the show, but they they also have boards of directors. You know, it's not just the Berkshire Hathaway board. And so how do they function? Are, are they, they? I suspect they're they're probably more like a, an advisory board type of of arrangement. But a little bit more color on that would be would be wonderful. So I mean, those, there's always more to to learn. I was going to say those are two kind of big topics, <laughs> like, and and it's still fascinating that over 50 years it's still you know yeah you get little little inklings, but it but it's still not 100 percent clear. That, that's interesting that that was Charlie's answer. When you asked that in 2018 about compensation and it being trade secrets, don't talk about that. That's kind of that, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and they've been asked that question in various forms over the years. Um, I think it was just you know, hey, and, and I suspect again, it's, it's probably more simple than than we think, but it's it's always 
I, I suspect it's always tied to the underlying economics of the business. And it's almost like a shadow equity, if you will. And he's talked about it at, you know, in the, in the 80s, 1986, they bought Scott Fetzer, uh, which is sort of like a mini conglomerate. Uh, the two big subsidiaries of Scott Fetzer at the time were uh, Kirby and Worldbook. And um, uh, this guy, Ralph Shea, ran that business. And, and Buffett, over the years, again, had talked about how much capital, how much earnings had been sent to Omaha by Scott Fetzer. And also the fact that by sending those earnings and the cash to Omaha, Ralph got a bigger bonus. So it was, again, just, just a little, little clue as, as to how he thinks about it and structures incentives, which, which I then apply to the, the companies that I'm looking at and that I own to say, how is their compensation structured? You know, is this long-term plan make sense from the standpoint of an owner? Do they own, you know, just all those things. So studying Berkshire Hathaway is, is just an incredible, uh, it's really like an MBA in a box almost. It's so true. Um, yeah. I, it's so funny because I've got my MBA and I don't think we talked about Berkshire enough. I, I, may, I don't even think maybe it was even like a full one full class talking about, you know, or one, uh, I think maybe there was one case study that we did. But it's it's just silly that like it's not covered more. I mean, I'm sure at other MBAs maybe a little bit more, um, but I mean, in mine, not not so much. It's a shame. It's a it's a shame. Um, but it, another question that I have for you, you know, at being a, a a Buffett Berkshire historian, what would you say is the most overlooked, underrated Berkshire deal investment transaction that gets little to no dissection, at least compared to kind of everything else? Yeah, I, I've used I've used Scott Fetzer. I, I'll go. I'll, yeah, Scott Fetzer, I think is a great one. So Berkshire spent uh, around four hundred million uh, in nineteen eighty six for Scott Fetzer. Like I said, it was a, a mini conglomerate, had about twenty businesses. Um, the, the interesting thing about Scott Fetzer is they tried to. I think it was an ESOP. They tried to buy it with ESOP. It failed. Um, I think an LBO tried to buy it. And here was a business that was earning, you know, 25% returns on capital. And it was just kind of getting passed over. Um, and Berkshire just stepped in, you know, basically just wrote him a letter and said, you know, hey, I want to buy your business. And, uh, and, and they did the deal. And, and at the time, it doubled Berkshire Hathaway's revenue base. It, it, was, a, it was a pretty major acquisition. And so... Again, just these simple businesses. And when you looked at Scott Fetzer, again, Kirby Vacuums, uh, uh, World Book Encyclopedias, th those were the two big ones. But then they had these other little businesses, Wayne Pumps, you know, these little, um, uh, another subsidiary that made electrical components. I mean, th there's nothing very complicated about it. And I, I think oftentimes, you know, Buffett talks about finding these one, one foot bars to step over versus jumping over the seven footers. And, and you just, Scott Fetzer was a great example of that, uh, where just simple, a collection of simple businesses stepped in when nobody else really wanted it. And it's been, a, it was a great, great acquisition. And that cash, like I said, I forget exactly when, um, but, but the manager actually took capital out of the business. So he was running it more efficiently, sent cash to Omaha, uh, increased the earnings. And then that cash was then redeployed in, in other acquisitions. Uh, but it's kind of been buried. I mean, it's been, you know, 35 years since that acquisition. 
but but many of those businesses are still there. Awesome. You know, here, here's another out there. Listen, I'm trying to ask you questions that hopefully you hadn't been asked on, you know, your 20 plus interviews and, you know, maybe trying to zag in some respects. So for those, I'm a Buffett fan. I may not be a shareholder, but I am a fan. So uh, bear with me when I ask this question. So, okay. <laughs> so what would you say is a, a maybe something that from that you did study when you're when you're when you're looking at Berkshire and Buffett that you're like you know that's something I wouldn't do you know that I, you know the, my lesson learned is I would want to do the opposite of what they did here. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I've I've been asked that one. Hmm. Have to think about it some more. I, you know, one one thing I'll go. I'll answer it in a slightly different direction. Um, looking at studying Buffett personally, um, I mean, he he literally eats Oreos and ice cream for breakfast. Um, literally, uh, I, I eat my broccoli. Like that's one thing I disagree with him on. That nutrition is pretty important. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, in, in terms of acquisitions, you know, I guess it's, it's, so, it's so easy to say, you know, geez, he should have done this. I mean, buying airlines again, I mean, how many times over the years did he, he literally said, you know, geez, you know, joking, of course, I've got this 1-800 number. And, you know, if, every time I think about buying an airline, I, I call them and they talk me down and, you know, uh, and, and then he goes and he, he buys airlines again, um, now, this was pre-pandemic, and I don't fault him for selling them after the pandemic. You know, pandemic aside, you know, take that out of the equation. Um, you know, the, the, the thesis was that the industry was consolidating, kind of like the railroad industry, this sort of tectonic shift, if you will, in profitability. But I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like I, I probably wouldn't have gone back into airlines. But you know what? It's another great example of, hey, um, we make mistakes and... You know, it's it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, a mortal mistake. You know, they they knew they made this bet. They 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 spread it out over you know four different airlines. It was more of an industry bet, um, and you know, it turned out they were wrong. Um, and again, pandemic aside, um, I think it was a rational thing to do to sell it after that happened. But um, yeah, good, great, great question. Look, I'm trying. I'm trying to zag a little bit because no, I don't know, who does. Any, I mean, look. I, I mean, for you know, everyone knows you're a fan. You're, I'm, for full disclosure, you are a shareholder of Berkshire, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. <laughs> the, the understatement of the year again. Um, you know, so it, it's it, as as much as we praise and we want. You know, we we believe in and and want to use everything that you know they've done over their incredible career. You know it. Sometimes you want to ask like those those kind of questions, and they're and they're such good managers that I think they would be more than willing to talk about that kind of stuff. And you you even said the you know jokingly uh, he's got that eight hundred number to <laughs> anytime he's thinking about buying an airline. Um, sorry, you were going to say. Yeah, no, and they they've been very. I mean, just you, you listen to these meetings, and and they're always very candid about the mistakes that they've made. Um, you know, Google's another one. I mean, they've brought this up a number of times. You know, geez, we should have bought Google. We should have bought Google. And it's like, why haven't you bought it? You know, I, that I, Google for me, it's not really in my circle of competence. I haven't looked at it deeply, but 
for, for Buffett or for Munger specifically to say, geez, you know, we missed this, we missed this. Um, why haven't they bought it? You know, or a little bit of it. I, I, I don't know. Um, but so then, I mean, to kind of wrap the bow on, you know, on uh, Berkshire and talking about Buffett, Munger, you know, what, what would you say is kind of the, the short term future? for this style of investing? You know, do you see it, you know, gaining a little bit more steam as we kind of moving forward here in these next few months and what's happening? This is kind of a macro question, but, you know, as a student of this kind of history, you know, do you see it gaining a little bit more steam and, and, and maybe a little bit more exposure amongst folks that maybe lost a little bit and are like, all right, I need to now kind of take a step back and do what some of the best have been doing for a long time that's worked. Yeah, I would expect that to happen. Although some of, some of those people, it's, it's really, they're, they're only visiting, you know, it's like, okay, I've, I've done, you know, whatever Bitcoin investing, I've done, you know, momentum investing, sector rotation. I don't know all these crazy things that they, they name these, you know, geez, let's try value investing, you know, and then, and then something else will come along and, and they'll, They'll uh, they'll move on. I do think, to the extent that it uh, causes people to think about what they're doing, and I mean, it really, and to the extent that they don't, I mean, so much the better for for you and me that look at look at fundamentals. But to the extent that some people are educated on, okay, the stock market is not a casino. You know, I can study these financials and even. Even just a cursory glance at you know Yahoo Finance, you know a, a free site. Um, does this business make money? You know, yes or no? No. Okay, let me just pass. Like just, just, just even just a little bit. Like they don't have to go reading ten Ks and do all this stuff. Even just, just enough to know. Okay, maybe I'm talking to my financial advisor. You know, geez, how do you pick these businesses? Why are we buying money losing companies? You know, when do you expect them to make money? Just anything like that that can really help. Uh, folks uh, help folks out, you know, is, is for the better. And, and even if they just say, you know what, I'm just going to go to an, 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 an index fund and, and, you know, basically give up, um, which they'd probably be better served by, by doing that, you know, just say, okay, I'm going to focus on being, you know, the best nurse or teacher or, or, or what have you. And just let, let Buffett's overall message of owning businesses and, and letting them go for the long term. Uh, work in your advantage. Very good. All right. So now I want to I want to learn a little bit more about Adam. You know, and, okay. and and your background. You know, what what I usually ask this at the beginning, but hey, we got we we had to talk a little Buffett. Yeah, jump in. Yeah. Um. When when did your passion for investing begin? I, I'm in my head. I have it that you were like you saw Buffett speak, and that was that was it, and you went on your quest of being the. Anyways, okay, you say it. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of like that, but but kind of late. Um, I mean, I, I can't really pinpoint the exact. I was probably 36 now. I was probably 20 when I really like started. It, it was just like him finding Graham. I mean, literally, it was like, oh, like this, this makes total sense. Um, I think the first book I ever read on Buffett was was Robert Hagstrom's uh, book, The Warren Buffett Way. And I've, not even kidding, probably listened to or read that book 
12 times, you know, a dozen times. Um, and each time I, I, I pick up something new and I mean, it's just been great, but, but, uh, Hagstrom s lays out in that book who Buffett's uh, influences were, um, you know, Ben Graham, um, Charlie Munger, uh, Phil Fisher, and then this guy, John Burr Williams. And I said, well, geez, you know, if these are Buffett's, you know, teachers and heroes, essentially, I'm just going to go find out all I can about them. And then that, that just kind of led to uh, devouring everything on, on Buffett and Berkshire that I could find. Uh, but I did grow up in a family of, of business owners. So I've always had business sort of around me. And I always, it, it was always just part of me. And um, I, I wrote about this on, on my Substack, um, the, the free Substack uh, watch list investing. I, 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 on high school, I sold firewood. And then in um, college, I also started a welding business. Very simple businesses. Um, but I learned a ton. I mean, I was very fortunate that, I mean, firewood, it's, it's just a super simple business, but it gave me this model of how to think about businesses. And then when I went to college um, and started studying business, I could hang all of this stuff on my, my, my real world experience and say, okay, you know, inventory turnover or um, valuing inventory. Well, geez, you know, I've cut up all this firewood and it's sitting in a pile here. Market prices fluctuate, you know, or, or if some guy stiffs me, you know, geez, I want to, I want to actually sell in cash, um, you know, a cash cycle, um, having my buddies work for me and, and dealing with them, you know, showing up late or you know, what have you. I mean, just all of these things, like just, it just made total sense to me. So when I got to school, it wasn't just a theory. It was like, oh, okay. And, and still even to, to today, I, I think about that early history and what I learned about it. And um, business is pretty simple at its core. You know, you've, you've got a certain pool of capital and you're trying to earn more capital on that capital. And uh, it's just sort of the, the, the complexity and how you go about doing it and the economics behind it uh, that, that differ over time. So um, happy to go deeper on, on any of that or, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, from, from those experiences when, you know, running small businesses, running your own business, being around business, you know, and then of course, finding Buffett and everything, you know, when did it shift from wanting, you know, obviously you continuing to run your own business, you run, you know, need capital management, why not? But when did it, when did you now incorporate the, not just run, you know, using some of the things that you were learning and applying it to running your own businesses, but then also to, okay, I can invest my money and, and buy some of these mm -hmm. businesses as well. Yeah. So I think my first, so, I mean, when I, uh, I think like this day after I turned 18, I went out and I opened a, a brokerage account. Um, but even before that, my, so my, my great aunt, my grandfather's aunt, she was a school teacher and I should write this up. Um, she was a school teacher and she bought all these. I actually have a copy of her, her will and her estate that lists some of these. Like she owned, you know, IBM and all and and you know, all these boring old, old timey businesses. And she did really, you know, she wasn't a multimillionaire, but she did pretty well. And those shares got passed down. My grandfather, he died. My grandmother still kept them, sold a couple shares over time to buy her car. And she she uh, gifted um me and, and my three siblings, you know, 25 shares of SBC at the time, which became AT&T. So, you know, probably a $500 gift. 
that was my first like real entry into oh so i can you know own these shares and they pay a dividend and they'll send me a check and i can you know let them buy more shares for me like that was my first real okay here's the stock market and so then like i said i i, I opened an account like the day after i turned 18 and i've made all the classic dumb mistakes Bobby, over, over time. And I actually, I have a file on my computer. I call it the folly gallery. And so every time, and it's been a little while since I made a big blunder, you know, I'm learning, but I mean, I've done, so this was, I turned 18 in 2004. And so this was right. This was the run up to the, the, the great financial crisis. So I did all the, the typical things, you know, geez, let's, let's look at this stock because it pays a good dividend. You know, um, and I did some decent stuff too, like you know, let's let's buy 3M and and set up a drip program, or let's buy you know some more AT and T. Um, but I, I bought some little casino businesses that went into bankruptcy. Um, 2007, I bought a mortgage REIT that was you know yielding 25% until they cut the dividend. I mean, I've done all these dumb things over time, um, but I keep track of them, and so just. Again, just unfortunately, you know, most people who are investing, probably 99.99% of people, they start out with a small amount of money. It's not like someone gives you $100 million or something when you're, you know, 18 years old. Okay, go, go invest this. Fortunately, the mistakes that we make, even though they're big at the time, you, you generally have less, less money, you know, in, in your portfolio. So, that compounding effect of your learning is actually magnified that much more because as you go forward, you're making less mistakes and you're applying that to more capital. So I think of it as a good thing. And I'd really just encourage everybody to, to track their own mistakes and, and learn from other people too. I mean, again, you're going to make plenty of them on your own, but learn what others have done too, because uh, there, there's a lot of folly out there. hundred percent. For microcaps, man, it happens that you're, you're bat. Like if you can, if your batting average is, you know, 200, you know, uh, you're just hoping that those two bets out of the 10 are, uh, <laughs> that's right. Even 100. I mean, it only takes one. Um, but catch us up then. Cause now, you know, currently CEO, CIO, you know, I mean, obviously you're the author and you have your stuff set going, but you also run Mead Capital Management. So catch us up from, you know, those beginning early days, investing's cool, we love it, to now running, running your own shop. Yeah. So in between there, so I left college 2008, looking around for a place to work. I started, I stumbled on banking, you know, business, okay, interesting money. All right. Um, had no idea sort of this other side of the bank, which was commercial lending. So I ended up as uh, in the commercial lending field. I started in banking in three weeks after hit prime, prime hit three and a quarter, like right as everything was hitting the fan. Um, in hindsight, it was the best experience that I could have had because I was, I was involved in um, working out some loans, basically when, when loans go south, you know, they get moved to a, a separate, either the lender does it or gets moved to a separate department where they, they work them out, which is basically just trying to work with, with the, the borrowers to pay or foreclose, collect, sell the collateral, you know, all that stuff. So I had the, the fortune of, the, the good fortune of being able to help 
work these out and see all these mistakes that happened, except I wasn't the one that made the original credit decision. So it was that much easier and I could just learn all the lessons. Um, but I spent 10 years in commercial banking, starting as a credit analyst, moving to a portfolio manager, uh, and then ultimately spending the last three years in banking as a commercial lender myself, lending to businesses. And again, that was a, a really a wonderful experience for me. Just getting to see all these different businesses, getting to see how decisions are made on the ground, um, but also thinking like... Uh, Thinking like a lender is extremely important. You think about guys like Seth Klarman at Baupost or Howard Marks at Oak Tree. Those guys are really credit credit guys at heart. And Buffett talks about you know rule number one: don't lose money. Rule number two: don't don't forget rule number one. And so I think that experience really helped me when I I continued this natural drift into stocks because the way I think about it is. It's kind of like a, the two sides of the same coin, Bobby. You're, you're, if you're lending to a business, you're looking at the cash flows. You're trying to determine, okay, um, you know, what are the risks in this business? Who are the suppliers? Who are the customers? Understanding the industry, ultimately getting to a cash flow figure that is going to repay the debt that you've you've uh, lent to this business. Flip side of that coin is being an equity owner, where you're looking at those same things, just saying, okay, what's this residual cash flow? worth. And so having that credit mind really helped me as I continued this natural drift into the stock market. Uh, but it's really one really fascinating thing uh, about this experience is talking to other lenders. And, and I, I was pretty young at the time, still pretty young, I, I think. We've got a couple, couple of grays coming in, but compared to the guys that, that were there, you know, I'd always ask them like, all right, you know, we spend our days looking at these businesses why don't you look at the stock market, you know, and try to find some of these these businesses that are out there and buy them? Oh no, no, that's that's too risky, you know. Um, and it, it it just it really hammered home to me the the fact that I I think it is partially genetic. Like you you either have it or you don't. Like within five minutes, you either understand value investing, you you get what you're trying to do, um, whether you apply it to a micro cap large cap, if you consider yourself a growth investor, a GARP investor, looking at businesses, looking at stocks as businesses, it either clicks or it doesn't. And it just, it just amazed me. It was like, what? Like you're literally the, the best person equipped to look at a business. You can read the covenants, you can read the, the, the bank, the, the filings and everything, and you don't do it. Why don't you do that? It just, it blew me away. So that just kind of pushed me even further along in this natural drift. Um, and in 2020, right as the pandemic hit, uh, unfortunately, but uh, I stepped out and, and decided to go full time at Mead Capital and a uh, couple, of, couple of challenging years, but that actually led me, um, and I, I think I'm, a, I'm not a great salesperson either. I could blame it on the pandemic, but I think I'm, I'm really not just a, a great, not a great salesperson, but uh, that initial struggle led me to start Watchlist Investing, which is a, a monthly newsletter, you know, paid newsletter that I do deep dives on, on great businesses. Uh, so I've got sort of this, um, you know, almost four quadrant thing, if, if you will, where I've got Mead Capital, where I, I manage money for clients on a bottoms up, you know, value investing, uh, go anywhere approach. I've got a couple of uh, small caps, nano caps in, in my portfolio as well. Um, 
so I've got I've got that for clients. I dovetail that with the newsletter where I'm I'm looking for business good businesses anyways. You know, it helps me to write them up. It gets me exposure to others that might have have interesting ideas. Um, and then I, I've kind of I've been slacking on this a little bit lately, but in conjunction with the book, I have uh, a, a website called theoraclesclassroom.com. I also have a YouTube channel where I go through all the Berkshire meetings and pull out some interesting clips and and really try to continue to apply the lessons that Berkshire offers us to those other things that I'm doing. So it's it's this wonderful, uh, and then I have the, the free Substack, which you mentioned before, uh, where I just kind of put some of my thoughts out there and, and offer some lessons publicly. But it, they're all different, but they all help each other. And it's just fun continuing to learn, apply the lessons, uh, updated lessons, new lessons, looking at new companies and just continuing to try to become a better investor. So what's the, what's the number one lesson that you've taken from Berkshire that you would say has helped you the most, you know, in selecting, you know, businesses uh, that, you know, to have in your own portfolio with need capital. And then on the other side of thing, what's a lesson that you like, ah, this, I think this is, this is a good one that I can use, but then ended up maybe not working out for whatever reason. So both sides of the coin. Yeah. So Buffett really, again, he, he was, he was a, an economics major. You know, you look at Buffett, he's like, geez, you know, finance, he was an economics major. Um, he really thinks, I, I, he thinks very deeply about everything. And it's clear when, when you, you know, spend two seconds listening to him, but he really does keep it simple. I, I really do think he keeps it simple with this very basic model of, you know, it, it's so easy to get lost in all these ratios and profit margins, you know, we want a high profit margin. Well, that's not necessarily the case. What, you, what you're ultimately trying to do is find a business that earns a good return on capital and buy that business at, you know, a smaller multiple to that underlying capital as possible. You're, you're laying out capital, try to get more back. And it really is that simple. It's just the implementation of it is, is pretty hard. So you might have a business, just to kind of bring in a little bit of Berkshire here, um, sees candy has um, has a lower profit margin than flight safety, um, another business that they own. Um, but what really matters, but C's Candy is is hardly uses any capital. Flight safety is a very capital intensive business. McLean is a, is another example where Berkshire owns a, a distributor. They survive on a profit margin, a net profit margin of under one percent. And you say, well, geez, that's a bad business. Now it's gotten tougher over the years, but they turn over their capital so fast that that one percent profit margin turns into when Berkshire first bought it, they were earning fifteen percent on capital. So don't you got to you got to remember ultimately what you're trying to do, and and return on capital really, to me, is the heart of everything you're doing. But even beyond that is the qualitative and saying, okay, what's what are the key variables to this business? Like I said earlier, um, sometimes it's not as obvious. And, and when I'm doing my deep dives, I spend an, an enormous amount of time just thinking about what are, what are the two or three, and I limit myself to three, what are these three key variables of this business that I really need to pay attention to? And it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, and the, the other part was, was what, uh, what, what, what have I looked at that 
doesn't work or well like what's a lesson that you're like oh this is a great lesson i want to apply this to my my philosophy when i'm looking at businesses that you're like you know what that that didn't work for me yeah hmm. i mean what well maybe this answers that maybe it doesn't but i i i i've really slowed down like the, the more that i learn the more i feel like my circle of competence has almost shrunk not because it's really gotten smaller, but because I've done a better job at defining that circle. So I would look at Buffett and say, oh, geez, he spends, you know, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day reading. You listen to him and he's like, oh, look at this oil business or let's talk about Google or let's talk about um, insurance. And it was like, OK, I need to be I need to know all of these businesses like they're pretty simple. I need to know them all. And 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 as I've gone forward i've really just said you know i need to kick this thing out i need to kick this thing out and you know like i did a write-up on um jack henry they make bank core software and i said i only understand like i got down with it and i said i understand bank core software because i was in the business like it's literally like doing a heart transplant to a bank you don't want to do it but then they have this other payments business and i'm like i really only understand half of this business like if I'm being honest with myself. So I think that the recognition that, I mean, you literally could just study one industry and become an expert on that and do well over time. You know, you, you mentioned it before, especially with small caps, you only need a couple um, and you only, you need to wait for these pitches. So um, not being afraid to, to, to say, Hey, I, I mean, when, and you probably have this experience too on Twitter. It's like, how do these people or some some sub Substack newsletter writers. It's like they have an opinion on a, a business every single week or something. It's like I can't do that. I, like I don't know how they do it. And I think the answer is they really aren't going as deep as they need to if they're an informed owner. And so, shrinking the circle of competence. I so appreciate that. Yeah. No. It, it's yeah. You you definitely bring up a good point. Like it's. Uh, especially on the newsletter side, sometimes you get the new idea a week and you're like, how, how, I mean, I mean, some people are built differently, right? You know, some people can do that, you know, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a good point. Um, so, I mean, for you, by the way, Jack Henry, are you, are you a shareholder in Jack Henry? I, no, I, I don't know the, sh the shares. No. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so then, I mean, you know, we've gone through a few of your your experiences so far, but what would you say is one investing experience that really changed your career the most? Um, love to hear that one. Really changed my career? That can, you can take that any direction, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, let's see. I mean, I've... I've I want to answer this. I have one interesting mistake I can tell you about. Well, let's, I'll start with, you know, so I, I followed Monish Pabrai and, and Guy Spear into Horsehead, which is a, a zinc uh, recycling business, basically. Um, I did my own analysis. I mean, I read the, the, the 10Ks. I, I looked at it, but I think I just kind of clicked. I said, oh, geez, these smart guys are in it. You know, I'm going to buy it. And that was, that taught me a really painful lesson. You know, this was probably eight years ago now, but a really painful lesson of 
here was a business that the, the process required all these steps to refine the, the zinc. And on top of it, the business was layered with debt. And it, it should have been obvious. And, and even a step further, for someone who studied Berkshire Hathaway, I think it was 2004, early 2000s, Berkshire wrote off in its energy business a failed zinc recovery business. So I, and I had seen that. So like, I mean, that was just a super dumb move, but that was something that really highlighted to me, like, again, circle of competence. Like I should not have been in that business. I should not have been anywhere near that business. Um, and so I, I use that. It's a very painful lesson, but I mean, I think about it all the time. It's like, do I really need to be in this business? Like, can I just, I, I just need to wait and not get, you know, either caught up in what others are doing or feel like I haven't done anything for a while. I need to go into this business. Um, but I, I've had good success just to kind of flip it to a positive side. You know, one of, one of I think, the, the better investments I've made, uh, which unfortunately got taken away from me, was Ancestry.com. I, I identified the business as one where they basically, they, they invest, it was almost like the Disney of, of genealogy like they would invest resources in finding all of these records digitize them and they're good forever and all they have to do and so it was a subscription business i mean this was this was like 2012 13 14 maybe they got bought out but it, it was a business where i said i've i've truly identified the source of their competitive advantage and and it, and it turned out to, to be a win um so you know a couple couple examples like that where just it feels it feels good to identify the true economics at work and see it happen and and really just it keeps you coming back for more right it's like okay <laughs> for sure you know you have those mistakes and even some of the you know not complete blowups it's like oh geez you know should I just index you know I'm a terrible investor <laughs> it's like just keep going just keep going just keep learning. Absolutely. The big lesson. Absolutely. So then, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end here, but uh, the last question I'd like to ask everybody on, on the show here is um, what advice do you have for new investors? Just maybe anybody listening to this that's kind of dipping their toe or thinking about investing and putting money to work. Yeah. I mean, just, just learn as much as you can. And again, go in, go in your own direction. I, th I think one of the mistakes I see people make is they they try you know there there's the theory but then there's you like you know okay I have to be in this stock or you know I, I need to invest in this kind of business or you know even even in value investing you know geez you you should take a look at this business well it it always comes back to you like you're the last um, line of defense to your own returns and so you don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with. Um, if you think you're going to short circuit the process and sell out at a low, a low point, you know, do something, go in a different direction, but also don't be afraid to really just start where you are. I mean, I think everybody, even if you're a brand new investor knows something that they can start using to become a better investor. So, you know, if you're 18 years old and you're working at McDonald's, pull up the annual report and, and, you know, take, 
take your, you know, whatever, $12 an hour job and you're not just punching buttons um, and learn about, well, geez, how did this business come to be become so big? How do they make it so that, you know, within 60 seconds I can get a hamburger and all the systems that are behind it? You know, like you, you can apply that anywhere. You know, if you're a, a nurse or something that's thinking about getting in, into investing, who makes the hospital beds? You know, what is that one product that you use all the time that you just say, I could never live without this? You know, and that that's a clue to a more experienced investor that says, geez, that, that business might have pricing power or they might have a lock on the market, but you don't know that yet, you know, as a new investor, but just just keep be curious, I think is probably the best the best advice. That is, that's fantastic advice. So Adam, with that, we're there. Uh, where, where can our audience go and find more information about you, follow you on social media, subscribe to your newsletter, all, all, all the plugs? Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, watch list, well, meet capital management, meetcm.com, <clears throat> uh, watchlistinvesting.com. You can get uh, a couple of free issues of my deep dives and sign up for the Substack, which I try to keep to weekly. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at BRK underscore student. Uh, let's see, YouTube, the Oracle's Classroom. Um, I think that's it. But I'm sure you're going to have links links below in in this uh, in this episode. Always happy to answer questions. <clears throat> um, you know, get them get them to you. Get them get them to the chat. Love the conversation. You know, don't be afraid if if you're again if you're a new investor, ask questions. Um, of everybody, uh, and, and me included. I, I have to find I learn things from, from the questions that people ask as well. So uh, look look forward to the con continuing the conversation and uh, maybe coming back on, on your show here, Bobby. This was a lot of fun. 100%. We'd love to have you back on. But in the meantime, uh, listen, Adam, good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next chat. <laughs> All right. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.